0: You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. Our focus is going to be on verses 24 to 27 in chapter 2, but for context, uh, we're going to read uh, verses 21 to 27 in 1 John chapter 2. Start in verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he, made, which he Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing whom you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, And just as he has taught you, abide in him. So this book has been teaching us a lot uh, about false teaching and the ability to distinguish between true and false uh, converts. The reason for that is because false teachers have entered into the church in Asia Minor and were teaching doctrine contrary to the Bible, and it was causing doubt and confusion uh, among the saints there. And I really appreciate how John uh, starts off and he emphasizes Christ right from the very beginning uh, in this book. And it's the characteristics of true and false converts. And he's, he uses a similar introduction here as he does in the Gospel of John. In John 1.1 it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." So in the beginning, and talking there about the eternal Word being with the Father uh, before creation even was. And then in 1 John 1.1, it's a little bit different. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. And in that particular passage, what was from the beginning is the beginning of the ministry of Christ. So it's a little bit of a difference there in introductions, but it's got the same similar conceptual ideas. And he wastes no time in keying in on three of our five senses in the first verse in 1st John chapter 1. He says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have touched, and I just find that interesting that the Apostle John paints such a vivid picture of his being with Christ. Um, these are firsthand authoritative teachings that he is writing about in this book. And he says he proclaims these to us. It's authoritative, it's strong, and it's something that we should be able to listen to. And remember, he's writing from Ephesus uh, in Asia Minor, and that John is around 90 years old, so he's getting up up there in years. He's the elder apostle. And it just, um, because there seemed to be some doubt about their faith and and whether or not they truly were saved, I think this book is a great book. Uh, This is a great book to take someone through if they're unsure about their faith because there are a number of tests that qualify believers in this book to be able to dissect it, whether you're a true believer or a false believer. And the tests were needed because these false teachers had entered into the church. Uh, and so John is contrasting, you know, the false teachers are doing these things, but a true believer really does these things. And so the focus is there for him to... Uh, focus on the teaching of Christ and not the Gnostic teaching that was entering into the church at that particular time uh, in this book. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that when false teaching seems to enter in, it always seems to denigrate Christ? That's usually the first thing that they focus on, isn't it? It's like, how can we separate people from the love of Christ? And of course, Satan hates Christ, so it makes sense. Right, It makes sense, but I think oftentimes people don't necessarily connect the false teaching with the deeds of darkness. And by that I mean especially the motives behind the teaching. It's one thing to say, hey, don't follow Christ, but the, the motives behind it is something altogether different because if you were to accept that, what does it do? It separates you from Christ and puts you on a different path that leads you to a different destination. And so I think it's important for us to stay focused. False teachers under the guise really of getting us closer to Jesus are actually driving people further away from him. They're driving them further away from him. You can see this lived out today as we learned last uh, week with the prosperity gospel. You can see it lived out there, which really isn't a gospel at all. Costi told us those things, and but yet the deception enslaves so many people that are well intentioned, and leads them down a different path. And you can find that in almost every uh, false religion is that there's some type of uh, issue with Christ. Uh, I was looking at some things this week, and the New Age movement has their own Bible. It's called The Course in Miracles. If if you've ever heard of it. And it's, it's their, their Bible. And in it, they say this quote, the crucifixion did not establish the atonement. The resurrection did. Many sincere Christians have misunderstood this. You see, the fact that the New Age Bible dismisses Christ and all that he did to sacrifice on the cross is just an, another example of how false teachers, you know, denigrate Christ to try to bring him down. They place a focus where it doesn't need to be. And you can be sure that in this book, these imposters were doing the same thing. They were coming in, teaching something other than Christ is God, and it was dividing people. They denied that Jesus Christ was God. And that's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? is to be able to rightly discern the truth. This message today is just simply titled, Stick to the Basics. Um, That is the basic truths of our faith that John writes about in these verses today. Uh, The first basic truth is, let the truth of the gospel abide in you. Let the truth of the gospel abide in you. Verse 24 says, As for you, let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So as for you, John here is separating out the false teachers from the previous verses because he says in verse 18, it's the Antichrist. Children, he says in in chapter 2, verse 18, is the last hour. And just as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have appeared, for this we know that it is the last hour. And then in verse 22, he's talking about who is the liar, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, This is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. These antichrists were disrupting the church with the teaching denying the deity of Christ. But John is saying, don't listen to them. As for you, he said, reject this teaching. Focus on what you have heard from the beginning of your faith. So he says, whatever you heard from the beginning, we're we're to abide in that. We're to abide in the things we heard from the beginning. So naturally, we have to ask, what is it that they heard from the beginning? And what beginning is John speaking about here? Because in John 1.1, 1, 1, 1 John 1, one, it says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. In that verse, he's referring to the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, as I mentioned at the beginning. But remember in verse 3, he said, what we have seen and heard, uh, we proclaim to you also. So the emphasis on our verse in chapter, 20, or chapter 2, verse 24 is, as for you, believer, focus on what you have heard from the beginning. And what did they hear from the beginning? What was it that they heard? It's the same gospel message that John heard from Christ as he was walking and talking with him. Uh, there's an emphasis on hearing here what you have heard from the beginning. And so there has to be someone speaking the truth. We oftentimes give an intellectual assent to our faith, but there comes a time when we actually have to communicate that back into words and be able to share to someone what the hope is that is within us. And you think about what, what John heard. He heard the teaching of Christ, heard the teaching of the apostles. Uh, so there's a hearing element to it. It's not just reading only. And we have to have that answer, uh, whatever that is, to, to to be able to share the gospel to everyone that has uh, gives an account to. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that. Um, we don't get a word from the Lord and are saved. We preach the gospel. People hear it. It's not some mystical thing. Uh, take the word of God, we rightly divide it. It's think about back to your own faith. Someone somewhere was speaking those words to you, shared the gospel with you, and you know, you learned that the wages of sin is death, uh, and you, get, you yourself got saved. You realize the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? You repented from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ? Someone had to preach that word to you, and they heard that. It's an important element. And now, what is it? You're a new creation in Christ is what the Word of God says. And so I would say for us is to get that gospel presentation within us, so we can clearly uh, you know, say that to someone that needs to hear it. The imposters, though, denied the G- deity of Jesus and therefore the gospel. That's the issue here, is that we're supposed to focus on the gospel, we're supposed to abide in those things in the beginning because these false teachers were coming in and denying the deity of Christ in, in the body, the very thing that could save them, they rejected, these false teachers. We let the truth of the gospel message abide in us to avoid being led down the wrong path. In verse 24, I want to draw your attention to that little word, let. Let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. And let is don't prevent it or forbid it, but to allow that word to continually... Abide in you. We are to let God's truth live in us. We should never do anything that hinders that or prevents us from abiding in the truth. This is an active faith. We have to do things to continually focus our attention on the Lord because there's things as Christians that we can do uh, that does prevent us from abiding in the truth. There's things that we do. I mean, you can think of it. We dabble in sin. What does it do? It moves us away from studying our word, from praying, from going to church, all of those things because darkness doesn't like the light. And so when sin is present, we tend to focus on other things and it's definitely not the pure truth of the word of God. And so we move away from it. The other thing that John tells us uh, that um, prevents us from abiding in the truth is that People begin to love the world, and we see that in uh in the first uh in verse fifteen of chapter two of john uh he already warns us about that where he says, "Do not love the world, nor the things in the world." Mark writes about this also in the parable of the sower. You can go down through that and see that in verse nine uh uh chapter four, verse nine of Mark, he says, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for anything else enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You see that that's what happens. We begin to love the world. It chokes the word out in our lives and we become unfruitful for the Lord. And that's the issue, right? We're not remaining and abiding in the word of God and we allow the false teachers that are around us then to potentially lead us astray. So look at the second half of verse 24. It says, If you are saved, what you heard from the beginning abides in you. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you are saved, then the teaching about Jesus lives in you. If you are saved. And I think about this a lot because you probably run into people over the course of your Christian walk that say they're Christians, but they still have some doubts. They still have some confusion maybe that they they are saved or not saved. And I think they struggle at understanding that. How do you know if you heard what you heard when you were 15 or 17 or 18 really uh, was authentic Christianity? And I think John provides us an easy way to tell in this book, that's why I love this book so much because it's like you take them to this book and you can show them the difference between true and false believers pretty easy. So let me just recap for you in uh, chapter one, verse seven: Do not do you walk in the light as Jesus did? Do you have sweet fellowship with other brothers and sisters yet walk in the darkness? It gives you a clear uh, picture there. In verse, or chapter 2, verse 3, do you keep his commandments, his word? Do you keep his commandments, his word? Chapter 2, verse 10, do you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Chap- that's chapter 2, 10. Chapter 2, 15, do you reject the world's influence? That's what you would say to someone that is doubting. You go down through these things. Do you do these things? Are you seeing yourself in the scriptures this way. And I think you can be sure if you answer yes to all those statements that you're one of the children of God because true believers remain in the truth and they live out their Christian walk in a way that is tangible. We can see it because it lines up with the word of God. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, looking at that. So that's the first basic truth. Are there any questions on remaining in the gospel. I want to open up if you need, have any questions or talk about it because I've been rambling on for 10 minutes now. <laughs> any questions on that? Keep rambling? Keep rambling. <laughs> All right. The second basic truth is the promise of eternal life provides hope. The promise of eternal life provides hope. And we see that in verse 25 where it says, and this is the promise which he himself made us, eternal life. A promise isn't much good unless uh, the one who made the promise can deliver it. Right? I mean, we see man, oftentimes the promises go unfulfilled. I mean, someone tell you, hey, I'm going to be over there at three, pick you up, we're going to go fishing, and they never show up. That happens. Man's promises get broken. They get unfulfilled. But that never happens with the Lord. That's the beauty of it, is whatever He promises is going to come to pass. And when He said He promises us eternal life, uh, this should be something Christians think about because it drives behavior. It drives behavior. During difficult times, We can look at it from an internal perspective that no matter what happens in this life, um, we always have a future and a hope with Christ. And uh, because of Jesus, it's possible for us to know and to have eternal life. John 17.3 gives us this uh, ability, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have, uh, have sent. See, we we possess a quality of eternal life now. We possess it because we are believers in Christ. We emulate the characteristics of God because we are children of God. We do what we see the Father doing, and that is love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do that. We practice the fruit of the Spirit, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Uh, eternal life is a present blessing. And, of course, we're going to possess an unending life in the future. Uh, We share by faith in God's eternal being. And I think the idea of eternal life flies in the face of the Antichrist in this book. I really do. Because they were trying to introduce a system of salvation by works. They did not possess eternal life when john brought this up about eternal life he exposes the imposters for what they were and that's an important concept because unbelievers don't really understand eternal life they they they're looking at it from a a worldly perspective and they can't really see what that hope is for the true believer and i was i do some counseling things and I was reading some stuff on psychology this week and I came across this quote and I thought, well, that's pretty timely. It fit into this particular uh, concept here. This is from a psychologist named Martin Hoglund and he wrote a book, This Life, Secular Faith and Spiritual Freedom. And according to to Hoglund, he, he wrote this about eternal life and I quote, eternal life would actually be terrible it would entail an ever expanding vortex of emptiness, a gaping, bottomless pit of meaninglessness. It would spell the end of caring, the end of hoping, and the end of appreciating, of celebrating, of exerting, of accomplishing, of a committing, of loving. It would never, it would, excuse me, it would mean despair beyond despair, indeed, a fate worse than death. That's that's the unbeliever's perspective of eternal life. I truly feel sorry for people with that kind of a perspective because it just means that they need to hear the gospel. They need to understand the truth to be able to open up that world of hope and understanding that they don't have currently. And I think it's an emptiness that many unbelievers possess. And this kind of false view about eternal life is just devoid of hope. But for us, eternal life is our hope and strength to know that no matter what happens to us in this life, we will spend eternity with Jesus. We will not be spending it in some meaningless, bottomless pit, as this psychologist has has stated, but with Christ ruling and reigning from Jerusalem and then eventually on to the new heavens and the new earth. If that's not a hope for us, I don't know what is. That's exciting to think about. We're spending eternity with Christ. But we have to be mindful that unbelievers do not understand that and for us to be able to continue to preach the gospel to them. These deceivers were trying to steal that hope away from these readers. They were trying to steal this away from them. We see that in verse 26 Is we have a warning here from John. These things I have written to you about those who are trying to deceive you he says, "This is an active deception. this is what goes on. Uh, it's an active deception. the Antichrist to lead away, to destroy the many. and you can see it all around us. we're in an onslaught at all times uh, with deceptive deceptive words that try to lead us away from Christ. I mean everywhere you turn, you start to see that and John is strengthening our faith here. We have to be mindful of it, but the goal is to stay close to Jesus, to be able to identify the false teaching when it happens. And I think that's the key as we continue to uh, re-look at our faith, the gospel message, what that means about Christ, his deity, um, the holiness that he brings, the fact that we are different and we need to... Um, keep focused on that because it just brings our thoughts back to eternal life and what we have waiting for us, but also our responsibility while we live. So that's the second basic truth. Any questions? Yeah. Right, the chi- psychologist did have it right about eternal life, because without Christ, that's your perspective. Yeah. That is so true. <laughs> I was talking to one of my coworkers uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was saying, well, you know, in heaven you get a new body. And she said, well, why would I want a new body? I don't like the one I have now. <laughs> Different perspective. <laughs> Anybody else have any comments about it? All right. On to the last uh, basic truth that, we're going to talk about in this particular passage is that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. In verse 27, And as for you, uh, the anointing whom you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as he has taught you, abide in him. When you think about the anointing, I, I think my mind obviously it goes back to the Old Testament. When you talk about anointing, uh, we see the priests, prophets, and kings being anointed in the Old Testament. Leviticus, Leviticus 8.12 says, Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to set him apart as holy. That's kind of the idea. It, it's setting something apart for holy. The anointing set them apart into whatever God's purpose for them was. And uh, for us, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. It's really the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if you look at that. An amazing act of love happened to us at salvation, didn't it? it it's, it's kind of interesting to think when you try to explain this to somebody that God lives inside of you they they it's hard to comprehend isn't it but at some point in time when we repented of our sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the holy spirit comes and lives inside of us that's life changing that's life altering and i feel like at times um you know as i've seen christians live their lives it's almost like it's a discounted um thing they don't necessarily bring that out and feel like it is God living inside of them. And there's hope, There, there's no hope, there's despair, there's depression, there's all these things in, in, present in a believer's life. The Holy Spirit you know, should enable us to live quality lives. Not that those things can't be present, obviously, from time to time, but by and large, we should be relying on the truth there. But it's an ama- amazing act of love. And, and I like this in Ephesians one thirteen. it mentions that, that you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1.13. That seal of the Holy Spirit means that you belong to God. He owns you because you have been bought with a price, and you don't have a choice to live any different life now. Your old life is dead. That person that you were isn't there anymore. You're not that person anymore. You've been raised up to new life in Christ, And that's the exciting part about this. Then it says, you have no need for anyone to teach you. What does that mean? Some believe that they should only read the Bible and no other books uh, because of this verse. They look at this and go, hey, I don't need anybody else. And I've heard people tell me that. I don't read any of the books because the Bible tells me that I don't need to. Well, that can't be true because... I mean you can look in the qualifications for elders and you know it says to re- they receive double honor for preaching and teaching we're supposed to have an answer all these other verses that contradict people's thinking that you shouldn't read any other books there's there's nothing wrong with that reading books on sound doctrine and brings great encouragement and you know what would Jim do without being able to quote Spurgeon i mean We've got to have this. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit helps us to discern biblically-based things. I mean, it gives us insight and wisdom that we might not have uh, just on our own power. Then it says the anointing teaches us about all things. Does that mean everything? Does that mean the Bible is going to teach us about everything, like trigonometry and algebra? Because I hate those things, and I don't want to learn them. So it's not about every last detail, but it is about the the things that we do need to know that enable us to live our lives for His glory. Because the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scriptures before us, helps us to have the wisdom and revelation about Christ, and it always drives us back to the Scriptures, right? Always puts, puts us right back into the Word of God. That's where we need to be. And then notice it also says, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. You see, the, whole, the, the Gnostic teachers were driving people away from the truth. The, these are the liars and the antichrists, but you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is never going to guide you into a lie. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us into the truth and help us to see that and to not be led astray. It's like when you, when you say God led you to a church that teaches some truth and some error, you can be sure the Holy Spirit probably didn't lead you there because He's not going to lead you into, into, into error. Many out there do not want to lead us into error, and, and they don't want to teach us lies, but we need to be uh, comforted to know that our God will never lead us uh, somewhere that teaches the word falsely. There's no need for these believe uh, these believers in Asia Minor to listen to these false teachers when the Holy Spirit resides in them to teach them that's that's the point right is that the holy or the uh, the false teachers were teaching these lies, and why why would we rely on these men that are false to teach us these things when we have God living inside of us to teach us these the the truth that we need to have and so the proof of their faith lives inside of them. No false teacher has that kind of anointing. That's, that's amazing to me. So before I conclude, is there any questions? Any thoughts about that? Yeah.: Yeah, The, the, the true Christian life, eternal life, that perspective drives behavior. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean we, it should humble us should make us want to be obedient to the Lord. I think that's true. Anybody else? All right. I'll ramble it out. So wrapping it up today, sticking to the basics is really to abide in the doctrine contained in Scripture. That's what it is. The basic truths that we see, let the truth of the gospel be visible in your life, uh, that's the idea. So that you don't get led astray in any kind of teaching that rejects Christ. And it's, it's a lifelong study to, to study Christ and the Trinity and all these things that we're never fully going to understand. But the more that we do um, and we abide in that kind of teaching, the, the quicker we're going to be able to identify any kind of false teaching that comes our way and that's that's the goal is to stay away from the poison that could taint us in some way what we see at times i at least i do is uh professing christians being led astray because they they don't know their bible that's usually what happens instead they were a lot of people follow preachers uh emotionally driven and f- sometimes they just get get led into the wrong things. For us, though, we should always remember what Paul wrote in Colossians, that he said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, what let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, that's an abundance, just overflowing, uh, just living in it, breathing in it at all times. We must stay close to the words of this book. Right here. This is what we have to do. And it's not always easy, but it's worth it. The promise of eternal life is to be lived here and now with an eye toward the future. This is what we're, we're supposed to be doing. As we see the world getting colder, I don't know if you've noticed that lately, uh, but I have. Uh, our lights for Christ must shine the brightest when it's the darkest. And I think that just is um, for my own self. I think it's just not being afraid to say things you know, that could cause problems at work or wherever it might be um, because what can they do to me? What can they do to me? We can lose all of our material possessions, but we can never lose eternity with Christ, and that's our hope no matter what happens we have that secure uh, idea. And like we learned, we talked about, it's all made possible because the anointing of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us as believers. You think about this. The apostles had Christ for a period of time to teach them, and he wanted them to know when he left that he wasn't going to leave them alone. And he said in John 14, chapter 16, through or chapter, or verses 16 through 18, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides in you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I love that verse because I will not leave you as orphans. Not just, you have me here today, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I just think God shows care and concern for the disciples that he wasn't going to just abandon them. And I think it goes the same for us. It's comforting that we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have the visible manifestation of Christ here today, but we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we're not orphans. It should be comforting that we have that wisdom uh, that we can live in. The Greek word uh, alos is used to describe the Holy Spirit here, and it means another helper, another helper. That is another helper exactly as the same essence as Jesus. That's, ex- that's part of the Trinity. That anointing happens when we rep- repent of our sins and place our trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The Holy Spirit literally comes alongside of us, to help us, to enable us to live our lives in a godly fashion. That's what what it means. Come alongside of us. We have God himself helping us to navigate our lives. We need that anointing, Christ in us, because true believers are on the narrow road. We're on the narrow road. That means sometimes the potholes seem bigger than they may appear. So narrow... John encourages us to live our lives in very basic ways, and yet they are extremely difficult to live out, right? Sounds simple, but it's not exactly easy. Nevertheless, we are to not to deviate from the path laid out before us. When something new and shiny comes along, we're to go back to the basics of our faith to keep away from danger. That's really the the, the message, to, to stick to the basics Any new truth is an old lie that we've heard from way back when In the very beginning of it all. Did God really say in the garden, there's nothing new. If they do say it's new, it's a lie. Because we have the words right here. So the closer we stay in contact with Scripture, the clearer we see the magnificence of the Lord. We learn of His incredible character how his divine providence and holiness can get us through the ups and downs of life. We can read how the saints were delivered from danger by our our amazing God. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the saints that Jim has been preaching about in Hebrews chapter 11. What a testimony to the perseverance and the faith of these amazing people. We are to lean on his strength and abilities and not our own. He will carry us through to the end. Our role is to remain faithful, to read, and to study as an approved workman who needs not to be ashamed. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.